number six in our study from Genesis to Revelation. And uh, the goal is at the end of the 31 Sundays, you'll get the big picture, you'll understand exactly God's story found in the Bible. Week one, creation in the beginning. God created this amazing world for mankind to enjoy, for the Lord to know us. We could know Him. One little problem, well, actually it was a huge problem. Uh, Sin entered the world. Adam and Eve rebelled, and now suddenly uh, this world was created by God for relationship between us and Him. That, That relationship is broken. Uh, week number two, God's plan is to restore and rebuild that relationship through a nation. And if you'll recall, he chose uh, a 100-year-old man named Abraham and his 90-year-old wife, Sarah, to begin his chosen people. Week number three, uh, Israel, God's chosen people, are about to starve to death. There's a famine, and uh, they have no food. But not to worry, God sent ahead his man Joseph, and Joseph is there to literally save God's chosen people from starvation. So now they're in Egypt, and now a new pharaoh comes to power, week number four, and now this pharaoh uh, is threatened by the Hebrews, by the Israelites, and now God says, I'm going to release my children from captivity. He chooses a murderer. He chooses a man who can't speak well to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt. Uh, He was the most humble man on earth, and his name was Moses. You got it. Week number five, uh, that was last Sunday. Uh, God, in his mercy, gives his people structure. He gives them rules to protect them, to live by, Uh, He says, follow my commands and you'll be blessed. Choose to reject my my rules and my structure and there will be consequences. And he writes on a tablet what we call the ten, what are they? Suggestions? No, the ten commandments, right. Uh, Today, today we are in week number six and it's been a year since the Lord ushered his chosen people out of slavery in Egypt. And if you recall, he literally led them through the Red Sea on dry ground. And as they marched out, uh, the Red Sea fell on Pharaoh's armies and they all drowned. So they've been given ten rules to live by. And I think this is interesting. I guess I didn't catch this before. But for 11 months, Moses trains them on how to obey God's ten commandments. He, he, He takes 11 months there... Uh, just off the mountain, and he teaches them how they can be blessed by God through obedience. Now Israel moves 300 miles from Mount Sinai to the edge of the Promised Land. You tracking? Okay, they're they're now on the edge of blessing, and they're thinking it's time to take possession of the land flowing with milk and honey. I've got this great, amazing place for you, my chosen people, and it's just the right place. And you're going to love it. And I can't wait for you to go and take possession. But first, uh, Jehovah asked Israel one simple question. You ready? Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Because I'm going to give this land to you. It's a promise. 
but are you going to trust me? And I think that's the same question he's still asking us today. Do you trust me? Do you, do you trust me with your life? Do you trust me with your family? Do you trust me with your finances? Do, do you trust me with your future? He's still asking that same question. You have your Bible, turn to Numbers chapter 13, because uh, Moses uh, gathers a leader from each of the 12 tribes to ask that do you trust me question. Uh, and uh, in Numbers 13, 17 to 25, uh, Moses sends them into the promised land, to the land of Canaan, and, and he says, I want you to go, and you take 40 days, and you find out what the land is like, take notes on the people who are living there, you come back, you give us a report. And the report of the 12 spies has two major points. Okay, the 12 spies come back, and here's the first point. Uh, Chapter 13, 23 to 27, the land is fertile and the crops are enormous. You can't believe the crops they're growing. Wonderful. Uh, what a fertile and amazing ground that this promised land holds. Uh, the second point is this. Uh, the people who live in the land are huge. They are giants and they have fortified walls. Matter of fact, that's what we feel like when we look at them. Looking at it, we feel like grasshopper. Uh, just little, little grasshoppers compared to these monstrous people who are going to step on our heads and crush us. And we are terrified. So you have two of the spies, Caleb and Joshua, full of faith. What do they say? Let's go. Let's take the land. God's promised it to us. Let's take possession. God's going to give it to us. We trust him. And the other ten spies are full of fear, and they say, are you crazy? <laughs> They'll devour us. They will step on our heads. Uh, in Numbers chapter 14, you can turn there. The people rebel, and they say, uh, we want to go back to Egypt. <laughs> we don't like it out here anymore. We, we want to go back to slavery uh, matter of fact, chapter 14, verse 10, they're so angry they pick up stones to kill Moses. They're going to stone him to death. So the result is 40 years in the wilderness. Uh, they uh, are going to spend the next 40 years wandering around in the desert. Uh, verses 26 to 29, chapter 14, numbers all the grumblers. All the doubters are going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, uh, here's the deal. All the adults, and they classify an adult 20 years or older. So who's an adult here? Okay, so let me see your hands. Okay, this is going to be such a great thing in a minute, okay? Uh, how many of you are 19 or under? Hold your hand up. Okay, you get to live. <laughs> the rest of us, we die in the desert, Okay. Uh, you are an adult, and you are part of the grumbling, and you are part of the whining. Uh, you're going to wander around till everybody 20 years and older dies. And then only those 19 and under can enter the promised land along with Caleb and Joshua. Okay, the only old people allowed, Caleb, Joshua, and everybody else who was 19 and under. Why? Because they didn't pass God's simple test. 
Do you trust me? Do you trust me? And their answer with their whining, their complaining, their doubting is, no, we don't. We don't trust you, Lord. Uh, we want to go back to uh, Egypt. And it costs them entrance into the promised land. And one more thing before we move on. Just realize how their doubting and their grumbling affected their children and their grandchildren. Sometimes we don't realize it doesn't just hurt you when we doubt and whine and complain. Uh, it affects our children. And in this situation, it affected them in a very real way. Instead of going into the promised land and being able to settle into a home and, and enjoy the land flowing with milk and honey, what are they going to do for the next 40 years? Them and their children and their grandchildren. And I suspect there were even some great-grandchildren born. What, what, what are they going to do? They're going to, they're going to be nomads. They're, they're going to just literally wander around in the desert, and it's going to be really bad. Why? Because their parents were doubting, whining, complaining, not trusting the Lord's promises that he had for his chosen people. Okay? Turn with me uh, now to Numbers chapter 21. Uh, we're going to fast forward 40 years. The wandering is about to end. Uh, think with me now. The children 19 and under are 59 years old and under. Okay? So nobody over 59 other than Joshua and Caleb are going to be able to enter the promised land. But in Numbers 29, some of the area kings are not happy with the children of Israel passing through. Okay, just think with me now. You've got a piece of land and two to three million people are going to walk through. Okay, so you just think about bathroom facilities for two to three million people and you, your imagination can go from there. They're going to get hungry. They're going to make a mess. There's going to be mud everywhere where they trample through. Anyway, they're not happy with two to three million people. Probably, mostly, they were intimidated that maybe they're going to want to attack us and take our land. So uh, they're not happy, and they don't want them passing through their land. Numbers 21, verses 1 to 9. Would you stand with me? Uh, we're going to read a very interesting uh, episode that happened to them at this time. Uh, Numbers 21, 1 to 9. Let's declare God's word out loud together. Ready? Here we go. When the Canaanite king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that Israel was coming along the road to Atherim, he attacked the Israelites and captured some of them. Then Israel made this vow to the Lord, If you will deliver these people into our hands, we will totally destroy their cities. The Lord listened to Israel's plea and gave the Canaanites over to them. They completely destroyed them and their towns, so the place was named Hormah. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom, but the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, 
We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole, and anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake, and he put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Let's pray. Lord, uh, that is a really wild story. And we just acknowledge that you uh, got that written down just for us and for our example. So Lord, I'm praying that you'll help us to learn from this uh, really wild episode in your dealing with your chosen nation. Lord, Lord, I believe there's lessons here for each and every one of us here today. So help us to tune in. And Lord, I believe uh, there's lessons for us as a church family, and there's also specific personal messages for us as individuals. There's lessons for marriages. There's lessons here for families. So we just want you to know that we're ready to, to tune in and listen. May the power of your word and the power of your spirit be welcomed today in your church. Speak, Lord. We're listening. And all the church family at Walloon Lake said with one strong voice, you may be seated. It's pretty clear um, from what we just read, you don't want to be walking around with a grumbling, complaining, whining attitude. Uh, anybody here hate snakes? <laughs> Can I see your hands? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I guess almost all the hands went up. Okay, so maybe a few more hands. How many of you hate poisonous snakes? You know, you can. You're okay with just you know your regular non-venomous uh, snake. Uh, it, it's obvious God hates it when we grumble and complain and whine with our attitudes. He hated it back in 1450 B.C., and I would argue that the same is true today. God still hates grumbling, complaining, whining. Uh, And it's not just a bad attitude, let me say it clearly from the onset. It's sin. It's missing the mark. Grumbling, whining, complaining is basically saying to God, I don't like what you're doing in my life. I, I don't appreciate the situation. Uh, I don't trust you, and I don't know why you're allowing this to happen, and that murmuring is our way of responding with a lack of faith. Now, the children of Israel, go back to the text, uh, Numbers 21, had just seen victory, okay? The Canaanites attacked them. Some of the children of Israel were captured, and God gives them victory over the Canaanites, And now, uh, the Lord says, but I don't want you marching through Edom. I could give you a long answer, but basically, Edomites were distant relatives. And he said, no, I I don't want you going to war with your distant relatives. So instead of going through Edom and provoking a fight, I, I want you to take the long way around. But the children of Israel are thinking, um, that's a long walk. 
That's, that's the long way around. Uh, why don't we just go and kill the Edomites like we just killed the Canaanites? But Moses listens to the command of the Lord, turns southeast, and they go the long way around Edom. And look at verse 5. Um, they're tired of walking. Uh, they're tired of wandering in their minds. So they grumble, they complain against Moses and against God. Tracking? We hate the wilderness. We detest this miserable food. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt just to die out here in the desert? Now, they just seen their parents and their grandparents die. So I think they thought, since we've got to take the long way around, we can't take the shortcut, we're going to die too. These were the children, you remember, who were about to enter the land flowing with milk and honey. They were about to enjoy all of the promises God had given them, and now they're complaining and grumbling just like their parents did who had died in the wilderness. Verse 6. The Lord reaches into his strong medicine bag. Verse 6, look at it. And he does something really strong. Okay, this is strong medicine. Uh, he sends venomous snakes amongst the two to three million uh, children of Israel. And they bit the whiners and complainers. And it says that many of them died. Many of them died. Verse 7, they get religion real quick. Did you notice? Verse 7, instantly they snap to attention. They realize, Moses, uh, we've sinned. <laughs> we've sinned against you and against the Lord. Uh, we're really, really sorry. We're doing the U-turn. Would you please pray for a solution for our snake problem, Moses? Uh, would you please? We're, we're dying here. Would you please pray for a, a very quick remedy for our problem? So Moses asked the Lord for a remedy for the people. And the Lord says to Moses, look at verse 8. It's, it's a really wild remedy. Um, make a bronze snake and put it on a pole. Make a bronze snake. Uh, Logan, put, that, put that up there on, on, uh, uh, on the, the screen. Yeah, And put it up on a pole. Note the one before that where Moses is... Lifting it up. Yeah, Moses pointing to the brass snake up on a pole, and he says, put it up there, and then whenever anybody is bitten by the snake, give me your eyes, you can look at the snake, the bronze snake that I'm telling you to look at, and you're going to live. So whenever you get bitten by a poisonous snake, look at the bronze snake, and what do you do? You don't die, uh, you live. Now, i got to admit, that, that's a really strange strategy. Would you not agree with me? That's like a really wild solution. Why, God, did you command Moses to make a bronze snake? Uh, if you'll think about it, when they came down from Mount Sinai, they were fashioning a brass calf, and then they were said, you don't, you don't do that ever again. So we could spend a long time, why was this okay, and that wasn't. And I think the answer is, because God said so, but anyway, why do you have to look at the bronze snake to live, is the question. Um, God has chosen a nation, and his plan to restore relationship between sinful man and himself, and now he's got this plan going 
for restoration. Uh, are you ready to see how, how this story fits in with God's plan? Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 3. The Gospel of John chapter 3. Okay? Gospel of John chapter 3. This is pointing to God's solution to bring and restore relationship between sinful man and a holy, righteous God. Uh, John chapter 3, a Pharisee named Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. Pharisee named Nicodemus, give me your eyes, and he comes to Jesus at night, and verse 3, Jesus says, Hey, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And then they talk about, what does that mean? What does that mean? Must be, i got to go back into my mother's womb. Jesus said, of course not. Uh, you got to be born of woman, and then you have to be born of the Spirit. Anyway, slide down to verse 14. Uh, then Jesus in John 3, 14, here's what he tells Nicodemus. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him, in me. Jesus is saying about himself, track with me, I'm like Moses' snake. Remember Moses' snake? I'm just like the snake that was lifted up. Uh, and you have in Numbers 21 and verse 9, this bronze serpent on a pole. And now in John 3, 14, you have Jesus on the cross. The children of Israel were dying. The children of Israel were dropping like flies. Why? Uh, because they were sinners and they were grumbling against God. But in spite of God's goodness, they grumbled against the God who provided and protected them in the barren desert. Um, give me your eyes. Let, let this story be a reminder. How much good has Jesus been doing in your life? Think about it. How much good stuff has Jesus done in your life? And, and just think back. And now suddenly something happens to us and we're not very happy. We don't like the situation, so we start grumbling, we start complaining, we start whining, even though the Lord has been so good to us. We're, we're just like them. We really are. We're, we're an awful lot like them. And the Israelites who've been bitten by the snakes, they can't save themselves. They're crying out, we're in big, big trouble. But when they confess their sin... What was the cure? Jehovah comes up with this really strange cure, and here's the cure. You ready? Um, I, I got this pole, and I got my man Moses, and he's going to hold up the pole real tall. Um, and, and when you look at the brass snake, instead of dying, you're going to start living. Now again, I'll, I'll say it again. That, that's really strange. But now go back to John chapter 3 and let's look at what the Lord is saying regarding the cross. He's saying the cross is God's only remedy for our sin for everyone worldwide throughout history. And every one of us have been bitten repeatedly by sin. And what's the only solution? What's the only solution that's ever been provided for being bitten by the snake called sin? What's the answer? It's Jesus on the cross. It's Jesus on the cross who took our place. And now what we do is we look to the cross and Jesus taking our place. 
and shedding his blood for our sin problem and believing, look at verse 15, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Jesus. Have you ever recognized how humbling it is to admit that? Think about it, Paul. I have to admit, I'm a great sinner, and I deserve death eternally, and my only solution for that, for that being literally sent to judgment and having eternal death, the only solution to my greatest problem as a sinner is Jesus Christ on the cross. <laughs> Jesus did it all. I contribute nothing. I take no credit. And the only thing that sin-bit people can do is look to Jesus in faith as God's only solution, and you live. Track with me, Old Testament, when, when they were bit by the poisonous snakes, what did they have to do? Look at the snake and what? Believe, and they will live. And today, we look to the cross, and we believe, and we live. It's the same. We get everlasting life. Matter of fact, look at the next verse. Look at verse 16. Look what follows. It's, I think you probably know that verse, right? Uh, say it with me. For God so loved the world, what did he do? That he gave his what? Only begotten Son, that whosoever what? Believeth in him, look to him, should not what? But have... That's a pretty amazing solution, wouldn't you say? All the other religions of the world say, you know, God is so loving, I think He'll just overlook sin. I think He'll just, he'll just say, that's okay. Come on in to eternal life anyway. Or, they say, uh, pay for your, your sins by good works. So either God's so loving... He's just going to overlook it or uh, be good, do nice things, and earn your salvation. Biblical Christianity says that a holy, righteous God cannot overlook sin. Holy, righteous God just can't turn his back and say, okay, no big deal. No, it is a big deal. And biblical Christianity says that the very best deeds that you and I have ever done are nothing but dirty, used, filthy toilet paper. Isaiah 64, verse 6. See the problem? Uh, everybody else is saying, well, either God's just going to overlook it or, or just be good. Uh, a righteous God can't overlook it. And our best deeds are nothing but used, filthy toilet paper from God's perspective. So, um, I, I need to ask... Um, have you accepted the only solution for your sin problem? Because that's where it begins, right? The, the only solution for mankind's sin problem, the only cure for us being restored to a holy, righteous God is not looking at the snake, but looking at the cross and looking to what Jesus did for you on the cross. Have you accepted the only cure? That's where new life begins. That's where eternal, everlasting life starts, right? Looking to the cross. Looking to Jesus. Believing that He took your place and accepting the only cure that awesome God has ever offered. Stop just for a second. 
And some of you are saying, yeah, yeah, I've done that. I've done that. I'm glad that you have the ultimate cure. But the truth is, Satan hates us, and he keeps sending snakes, and he still wants to destroy you. Okay, if you have everlasting life, if, you, if your future is secure, okay, but if I can mess you up, and if I can destroy your effectiveness and take away your power and your victory, I still get a measure of a win, Satan says. So I'm just telling you, the snakes are still coming, but now they're coming, and some of us have been bitten, men, by the snake of pornography. And the truth is, there's no power, there's no victory, there's no joy, there's no blessing, because you're living in defeat. Some of you have been bitten by the snake of addiction. You're addicted to something, and it's got you by the throat. And again, there's no joy, there's no hope, there's no victory, there's no power, because alcohol, because gambling, because prescription drugs. I mean, we could just keep going on. There's lots of different addictions. has me by the throat. Some of you are feeling pretty good because I I don't struggle with that. I don't struggle with... uh, Some of you have been bitten by the snake of worry and fear and doubt. And oh no, what's going to happen in two weeks? And and I think my life is going to... And the joy has been drained by, by the snake of fear and doubt and worry. You understand? And I'm just telling you, the solution for us is still the same. What do we got to do? You ready? We look to Jesus and the cross. Tracking? The solution is the same. And if you've been bitten by a snake, and even though you're a follower of Jesus, if there's no joy, if there's no hope, if there's no power, I'm just telling you, you need to look to Jesus again. And look to the power of the cross. And the power of the shed blood and the power of God's Word, and the power of God's indwelling Spirit. I'm just telling you, there's power, and there's victory, and there's hope, and there's joy when you do it God's way. Bow your heads. Shut your eyes. Gentlemen that will be uh, serving communion, you can make your way down front at this time. And uh, while they're coming, I, I just need to ask a couple questions. Uh, have you accepted the only remedy for eternal life? There's only one, and it's the cross. That's the only solution that's available. And if you haven't accepted uh, what Jesus did for you on the cross, I, I just have one question. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Gen- gentlemen, you can be seated. Um, Right where you're seated. Here's what's amazing. Right where you're seated, you can accept the only solution for separation from awesome, holy God. And that's what Jesus did for you on the cross. Took your place. He shed His blood. Took your place in the tomb early on Sunday morning. Arose from the dead. And you just need to say, Jesus, I'm looking right now and I believe. You did that for me. My greatest problem is I'm a sinner. I believe by faith and I receive you as the only solution for my great sin problem. Others of you, you've you've accepted that solution 
Maybe you did that a long time ago. But the snakes are still coming. Satan still wants to destroy, devour. He, he wants to get you by the throat some way with some form of his snakes. And he wants to drain your joy. He wants to take away your power and your victory. So whatever it is, fear, worry, addiction, pornography, whatever's poisoning your life, did you know that the same solution is looking to Jesus? He's the solution for how you come to eternal life, and He's the solution for victory right now in your life as well. Would you ask Him, Lord, I'm looking to You. Would You show me what uh, the solution is? Show me what my part is, and Lord, uh, help me to do whatever it takes to get Your power, to get Your victory over what snake I'm facing right now. It's the cross where we remember and celebrate the awesome work of Jesus for us. Just remember right now, worship, praise, celebrate what Jesus has done for you. Started with uh, a sinless lamb. Myron, would you thank him for being that that sinless lamb, willingly offering his body on the cross for us? Lord, uh, we do live in a fallen world, and uh, Lord, it's uh, it's a dirty world, and yet, Lord, you have the solution for us. We thank you, Lord, that you are the perfect redemption. Lord, you are the perfect lamb that offered yourself so willingly. Lord, that uh, your body hung on the cross, broken for us. We thank you for that. Lord, we remember what you did for us so long ago on the cross. In your name we pray.